Turn in your Bibles to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 28, I'll be reading Acts chapter 28, verses 16 through 31. Acts 28, 16 through 31. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people, the customs or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. And for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart. And turn and I would heal them. And therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Is your Christianity true Christianity? Is your love for God love for the one true God, the God of the Bible. If you lived in Jeremiah's day, would you be one of his two or five converts over decades? Or would you follow the masses who wanted their ears tickled by the false prophets? That's the question as we come to the closing words in the Acts of the Apostles this morning. All of us, raised in church, raised in the Christianity of your parents, must ask now, must ask 30 years from now. Are we those who long for and are willing to see the glory of God? Like Isaiah did. Like Paul did. Would we... Be those who are willing to quote Isaiah chapter 6 to religious Jews. 
who refused to believe in Jesus, accusing them of shutting God out. Let's pray. Father, these are heavy, otherworldly words. The last words of Paul's mouth from the pen of Luke. May we embrace and see your glory in it. Oh, for us who have seen and are seeing your glory by the light of the Spirit and the beauty of the gospel. May we revel so much more than we do in your unconditional mercy to us, to the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is sermon number 81 in our journey through the Acts of the Apostles, and it is the last sermon. Paul arrives in Rome. He's considered a, an elite and, and non-dangerous prisoner. So he's allowed to pay for and live in his own home there in, in Rome. Always chained to a Roman guard who has charge of him as Paul is awaiting his trial before Caesar. Paul gets there. He settles in. It's been three days. And the first thing he wants to do is to speak to the Jewish leadership in the Roman capital, Rome. He wants to explain to them who he is and why he's a prisoner, which leads him straight into preaching Jesus, the promised Messiah, to the Jews. That's his goal. Paul seems to... Assume that they probably have heard about him because there has been communication from Judea. These are leaders of the numerous different synagogues in the city of Rome. But in the text we find out they did not communicate to the leadership in Jerusalem. Paul tells them he has nothing against Israel. He has nothing against his own people. But in fact, he is a prisoner because his whole goal is to preach the hope of Israel. Which means for him to preach about Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah who saved. Remember, as we have been journeying through Acts for the last couple years, city after city, what does Paul do? Gets there, and he goes straight to the synagogue. He preaches to the Jews first in their synagogues, town after town. Well, he can't do that now because much like us, but even more so than us, he's quarantined in his house. He can't go to them, so he calls them to his place. Pick up in verse 17. After three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem, the Jewish leadership there, into the hands of the Romans, into the Roman Empire's legal system. When they had examined me, they wished to set me free at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. 
Even though, look, I had no charge to bring against my nation of the Jews. And for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you. Since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here from Jerusalem and Judea has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what, what your views are. For with regard to this sect, this Jesus sect, we know that everywhere amongst the Jewish communities, it is spoken against. And that was the end of that meeting. But before they left, Paul and the Jewish leadership set up another day, another time where they would come back and bring a whole bunch of other Jews in their community with them so that Paul can open up the Scripture and preach Jesus to them. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. I just want to clean up the end of this book first. Jump to the end, verse 30 to 31. After that meeting, we'll go to in a minute. Luke tells us, He, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, period. And that's it. It just ended it that way. So he tells us, Luke knows Paul was in Rome for those two years. He knows he was in Rome throughout the entirety of A.D. 60 and A.D. 61. Evidently, he was then released, probably because his accusers did not show up. Jerusalem's a long way away. While he's there during that two-year imprisonment in Rome, he wrote the New Testament letters to the churches of Ephesus and Colossae, Philippi, and Philemon. Now, information that we have about Paul after this comes from non-biblical writings and from reading between the lines of Paul's last three letters that he wrote, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. So, first non-biblical writer was the bishop of Rome, named Clement. About AD 95, he's writing a letter to the Corinthian church. And in it, he talks about Peter, who went before us, and then he mentions Paul. And he says, Paul preached the gospel. Now, he's in Rome writing, Clement, to the, to the limits of the West. Which means Paul most likely made it to Spain which was his desire, which he wrote in Romans chapter 15. Secondly, about 250 years after the close of the book of Acts, the early church historian Eusebius, writing in about A.D. 325, he, he cites the tradition that Paul was released from prison, this particular first imprisonment, and continued to preach the gospel. Until he was arrested again, brought to Rome, and finally executed by the state. And so it looks something like this. Paul, evidently, after two years in Rome here, was released. He went on, most likely made it to Spain. He's come back. He, he visited churches in Asia, like Ephesus. He even went to the island of Crete, where he left Titus on the island of Crete as a pastor, to pastor it and to put things into order. Most likely left Timothy 
in Ephesus. And during those free years between those two imprisonments, probably A.D. 63 to 66, 67, 65, somewhere in there, he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. At some point he was rearrested, brought to Rome, where he wrote 2 Timothy. And then was executed probably in A.D. 67 or 68. Now, let's go back to the text. A day has been set aside for Paul to meet with the Jewish leadership and many others from the Jewish communities in Rome in order for him to open up the Old Testament and to show how it all points to Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, or as he says here, the hope of Israel, the Jews. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So Paul, he taught, he preached, he's trying to persuade, he's being persuasive. He's having dialogue or arguments with for a good eight to ten hours with them. He preached to them the kingdom of God. He was saying to them the promised kingdom through David's son has come. It's here. And the king is Jesus who now sits at the right hand of God ascended He's telling them that here in Rome and everywhere the gospel goes, people are entering the kingdom by faith in the Messiah, Jesus. And that that Jesus, after suffering and dying and rising from the dead and ascending, He will return one day and He will establish that kingdom upon this planet forever and ever as the prophets have foretold. And so Paul, he would talk to them about recent history, about 30 years ago, what happened in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the ministry of Jesus and His crucifixion and His resurrection with all of those eyewitnesses. He talked about history, but his main, main authority in doing that was the written Word of God, the Hebrew Scriptures. He would take them to the books of Moses and show them the sacrificial system. He'd talk about the Passover and the Day of Atonement and the scapegoat. And all of the other bloody sacrifices, which could never take away sin. And he would show them from the scripture how they all pointed to Jesus of Nazareth. And his crucifixion on the cross. As is pictured in the prophet Isaiah chapter 53. Think obviously he would take them to Psalm 16, which he himself and Peter both used in their evangelism to Jews, showing the resurrection. You will not let my Holy One see corruption. David, his body decomposed, but not his sons, Jesus. Surely Paul's taking them verse by verse through Psalm 22, where there's this explicit picture describing crucifixion, 
centuries before that form of execution was even invented. And he would continue to go through the scrolls all day long, persuading that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the King who has established his kingdom all day long. And what happened next is exactly what Paul expected. A few, a remnant of them within that group of Jews just a remnant believed and the rest left more hardened than when they came in verse 24 and some were convinced by what he said but others disbelieved and disagreeing among themselves, they departed. Now look, he was there for eight to ten hours. Luke. Indeed, the Holy Spirit was very selective on what he says. Oh, let, here's some things Paul said. Paul made one statement while they're leaving. Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, quote, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. End quote. And then Paul says to them, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. I said Paul expected it. Why did he expect that response here? And in every other Jewish community he preached. Here's the answer. He expected it because he got his theology from God. Directly from Christ, the resurrected one, and the written scripture. He expected it because he, like Isaiah, 700 years before him, they both saw the glory of God. And both of them were commanded directly by God to preach to the people God's ways. That's why he expected. We know what was in Paul's mind because he wrote it three years before this. So turn there. His letter to the Roman church. We know what's going on in his mind. This is how he began Romans chapter 9. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I, Paul, have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For what do you mean? What I mean is this. I, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. That's his point of saying that's what they are. And cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, 
the giving of the law of Moses, the the worship and the promises, to them belong the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Messiah, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Jesus is a Jew. But the vast majority reject him. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. No. What I mean is this. Because not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his physical offspring. But the text says, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Okay, we're going to pause for a moment. See, here's, Paul's in Rome, bring Jewish leadership and the rest of the Jews, bring them in here, jam in here. He's not shocked because he got his theology from God and the Bible. Paul did not just know that people need to hear the gospel and believe the gospel in order to be saved, but he knew God was sovereign over their believing. And he knew that God was sovereign over the vast majority of fellow Jews' hardness of heart toward the gospel of Jesus. He knew it because it's revealed to him. But that knowledge, Paul wants to make clear it did not make him uncaring or indifferent emotionally towards the lost. He anguished over it. That's why he said in Romans 9 verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed. That's his way of saying, it grieves me. But as they reject the gospel, they are anathema. Accursed. And cut off from Christ. I wish if I could take their place. For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They remain The vast majority. And they're on their way to hell. And I, Paul, grieve. And then what he does now, for the rest of Romans 9, 10, and 11, he gives the two main reasons why they are separated from Christ. The first because of their own culpability. And the second reason he lays out is because of God's sovereignty. The first reason, their own culpability, because of their self-righteous mentality constantly causes them, when the gospel comes, to stumble flat on their face. and can't see it. They stumble at the goal of the law of Moses. Totally missed. 
The second reason is because God has not chosen all ethnic Israel to be spiritual Israel. Let's go through those two. First, just very much briefer than you can imagine. Go to the end of Romans 9. Starting with verse 30. The culpability of Israel. What shall we say then? This. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they weren't looking for it. How can I be made right with God? We're not looking for it. And then the gospel comes to town. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. Okay, stop. He, he says, yes, he goes preaching. He's going to do the same thing in, in, in Rome and he others. He wants to preach to everybody, the church and the non-churched. Every town he goes, as he, as he said there, it's going to the Gentiles. They'll hear. And he preaches. And so many of them, compared to the Jews, believe. I believe. And what happened? They attained righteousness. Look at verse 31. But that Israel, who, very religious, pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Okay, huge. Paul then poses the question. Why? And he answers it. Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were, which is Paul's way of saying, it never was. As if it were based on works. And therefore what? They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I am laying in Zion amongst my people, the Jews. In Jerusalem, right in their midst, I'm laying a stone. That's Jesus. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Ask some of those Jews, like Paul. So, what he has just said here now, the end of Romans 9, is that Christ is the righteousness that the law of Moses was always pointing to. And Gentiles much more readily than the Jews. When they hear it, they see it, and they're justified by faith. God imputes to them Jesus' righteousness through their faith. And then in city after city, in synagogue after synagogue, and in Jerusalem where he had just, we've been months in that area, that one has them in, in jail. He goes to Jewish community after Jewish community in Israel again and again and again, just stumble over Christ. The Jews as a whole, in other words, did not and do not see Jesus as their Messiah or their righteousness. They thought that they were their own righteousness before God by their Jewishness, by their practice of the works of the law. Therefore, when Jesus came, they failed to attain what the law of Moses was pointing to all along. And instead, they tripped and fell on their faces over the Jesus issue again and again and again. 
Israel missed the meaning of the law of Moses. The law was to lead them to Christ. And Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, was to be their righteousness. And that is to be received by faith alone. Not by works of the law. So Paul means a couple sentences later in Romans 10:4. For Christ is the end. It's the word telos in Greek. It's the really he's Christ is the goal, the purpose of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul Because back in the first century, and while he's in Rome here, and throughout the last 20 centuries, and today, the only way for any Jew to be delivered from the curse of the law, from the wrath of God which is to come and the judgment which is to come, the only way to be delivered from it is through Christ who became our curse, our sin, and our righteousness. Who's Jew and Gentile? For all who believe. And so that's the first reason Paul grieves. He grieves that so many of his family his ethnicity from the religion he was brought up in stand condemned cut off from Christ and then he goes and unfolds the second reason that's a reality it's an even deeper reason the vast majority of Jews are rejecting Jesus and perishing eternally. And that is this. That's the way God planned it. That's what he says. God chooses only a remnant, a portion, of the Jews to be saved during this present time. Until this time is done, called the times of the Gentiles, until the end when God en masse will move sovereignly and save all the Jews through Jesus Christ, converting them to their Messiah. I'm just going to give you smatter. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Romans 9, 6, which we just heard. Hear it again. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. No, 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 no. For, for, for in the scripture itself, it becomes clear. Paul's going to argue. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Verse 27. Chapter 9. And Isaiah the prophet, he cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea. Look at all the Jews. Only a remnant will be saved. Romans 11.1. 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people, the Jews? Paul's answer. By no means, for I myself am an Israelite. I'm a Jew, a descendant of Abraham. Verse 5, so too at the present time, there is a remnant, a portion, a few, a remnant chosen by grace out of the Jewish community. But if it is by grace, 
It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So what then? This. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Out of Israel, out of the Jews, the elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of sleep, stupor. God gave them eyes that would not see. God gave them ears that would not hear down to this very day. Verse 25. Lest you be wise Gentile Christian in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware. Okay. God wants this stuff known by his people. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, my brothers. It's this. A partial Hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then he will go get them. Paul's a prophet. Paul is an apostle. He's a mouthpiece of God through whom God revealed the outworkings of His plan of salvation. And that's why Paul begins Romans chapter 9 saying, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. I, I grieve for my family members. Who won't come to Jesus. And my ethnicity and fellow Jews. I grieve over it. He's been doing this for decades now. And he knows the response of many as he unfolds the mystery of God. Even to the church. He knows people's objections. Paul you cannot feel real grief over the lost if you believe God chooses freely and unconditionally all whom he will save. And Paul's answer to it there in Romans 9 is, you're wrong. You're dead, dead wrong. I really grieve over my fellow Jews' rejection of Christ. And at the same time, I really believe that God is sovereign over who is saved. And I believe God's sovereign over the hardening of the hearts of Israel during this age. As he went on to say, what shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? Is he unjust? His answer, no, by no means. Okay, Paul, back it up. Okay, God said to Moses, Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And Paul concludes, so then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And so Paul, here's the point, he had a grasp of the gospel. 
and the way God saves sinners through it. Which then brings us back now to Paul's final words to the Jewish community in Rome. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah, the prophet. In other words, what he said, before you leave, guys, you remember? You remember the Spirit coming on Isaiah and God giving him a vision of the throne room where his train filled the temple. Do you remember that? You remember the presence of the Lord filling that place with Isaiah and how it crushed him to the ground to say, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Paul's pleasantly saying to him, that's how you should have responded to these last eight to ten hours. But you're not. But don't you leave here thinking that therefore you have one up on God because God knows that you cannot and you will not see the truth in order to repent and believe and be saved. You won't do that any more than your fathers did when Isaiah preached to them. Because you remember, right? Isaiah was saved. Cole was put on his tongue. His guilt was taken away by the, quote, king. The Lord of hosts. Who is Jesus from Nazareth. And then you know, right? Who's going to go for me? Isaiah raised his hand. I'll go. I'll go preach your word. And then God tells him what to say. And this, therefore, was a prophecy. Not just for Israel back in 740 B.C., but also, Paul is saying, for you today. Lord told Isaiah, go and speak my word to the people and harden their hearts so they don't see. That was the context of Isaiah 6. And these words of Isaiah 6, they are quoted six times. In the New Testament. In all four Gospels. In Romans 11. And here. Now in the synoptics. In Matthew. Mark. And Luke. It's all the same particular situation. Okay. Given. You're just writing the same thing about Jesus. His words. I'm just going to quote. Mark. Chapter 4, verses 10 to 12. And when he, Jesus, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve, so his disciples, his followers, those around him with the twelve asked him, because he was publicly preaching, now they're off to the side, asked him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and he quotes Isaiah 6, So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven.
God is sovereign. Yahweh himself, in his human nature, is speaking those words. Jesus would never, ever be tempted to water down Christianity in order to make the church more attractive to unbelievers. And Paul was like his Lord. He understood how God saves. Now, what is really stunning is how Jesus' really close friend, John the Apostle, how he used Isaiah 6. So if you'll turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Listen closely, Jesus, this is in Jerusalem, okay? Jesus is in Jerusalem. His death is coming very, very shortly. He's been preaching. And then John tells us, though he, Jesus, had done... So many signs, healings, miracles. He's done so many signs before them, the Jews in Jerusalem. They still did not believe in Him. So that, that's strange. (laughs) So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And he quotes one, and then he says this. They could not believe, in verse 39, for Isaiah said, and he quotes Isaiah 6. They could not believe, for Isaiah says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But John's not done. Listen to what then John says. Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory. And he spoke of him. That's stunning. What glory? Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah died, 740 B.C., I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, Two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole world is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Oh no! Woe is me! For I am lost! For I am a man of unclean lips! And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. And John who said in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God said Isaiah saw Jesus, Yahweh, in all His glory. And thus said those words of Isaiah 6. 
here's my take-home point. Feel it. Just feel the awe-inspiringness of it. Feel the beauty of it. Sense the glory of God our Savior. And to all of us who believe, feel Jesus' words, which are for you, that he spoke to his disciples in Mark 4. Feel his words to you. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. you, like Isaiah, like all of us. Whoa, it's me. I'm dead. Justice and wrath is coming. But your guilt has been put away. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. That's why you see. But to those on the outside, Jesus says, I quote Isaiah 6 to them. Paul preached that kingdom to the Jews in Rome on that day, and the secret was given to a few of them. But to the others, Paul's 10 hours of gospel preaching and Bible exposition only caused their hearts to become more hardened. But Paul knew, and we are to know, God's purposes were not hindered. But they were fulfilled. And Paul let them know. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they've closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. And therefore, my fellow Jewish brethren who refuse to believe, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. If you understand Romans 9-11, what that is, is a summary of Paul's understanding of how the gospel works in this age. And Paul's feelings and his thoughts about God's plan of salvation are ultimately, with grief, but ultimately expressed in the way he wrapped up Romans 9 to 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or, or who has been the Lord's counselor? No one. Or who has given a gift to the Lord that the Lord should pay you back? No one. For from Him and through Him 
and back unto him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in our homes, right now, in this room, right now, would you be so merciful to allow us to continue to be in awe? Oh, Jesus, we, we thank you. We thank you that you've said to us, to you, the secret of the kingdom, of this mystery of the kingdom is given. We thank you for your mercy that on that cross you purchased you purchased your right to come to us and shine by the Holy Spirit the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through this merciful, loving, 